Welcome back, history fans. We have another era of history to talk about. This time, we are going to be talking about the appeasement and the Axis and allies. So if you remember last podcast, we started talking about the build-up to World War II, how everyone came to power, and what everyone was doing in the interim between World War I and now World War II. So let's actually get into World War II, or at least the very build-up of, and then the actual fighting of. So... Um, so, anyhow, if you remember, we left off, we talked about those bad guys, you know, the Mussolinis and the Hitlers, and the March on Rome, and the secret police, the re-education, Hitler, bad painter, and then decide to kill everyone, and, yeah. So, um, now, we have these people building up, and it's not like we don't know that some of these things are going on, but shouldn't there be, like, some type of huge special group to make sure that these kind of things don't happen or that World War I would never happen again? Oh, that's right. It was the League of Nations. But they weren't very effective. They had no real power, if you remember. We kind of went over that. So, anyhow, let's get into our first definition here, appeasement. So, definition time, giving in to the demands of an aggressor to keep the peace. Um, think of it kind of like if you're ever at the grocery store and a little kid is screaming, I want popsicles, or I don't know, whatever. Little kids want these days. Um, if the mom gives in just to shut up the kid, that's appeasement. You're basically giving in to a tyrant in order to keep the peace. So, whoever's the angry person. So, we give in to them as long as everything is okay from then on. So, anyhow, we have this policy of appeasement. So, France, um, they gave in to some appeasement here. So, it was a, um, there was political division at home, and we had talked about how the government was run by, like, different groups, and they were supposed to have a coalition government. Well, they were having some issues as far as, like, how to defend themselves and whatnot. They had built the Maginot Line, but they just felt they weren't strong enough um, as a country to kind of move without Britain against Hitler, so they're like, well, how about we just give in to him and keep Hitler happy, and then we won't have to deal with him. Britain, on the other hand, um, they also had no desire to go against Hitler. Um, they felt that, you know, what Hitler was doing was actually fairly justifiable because of how mean everyone was to poor Germany during the Versailles Treaty and the War Guilt Clause and all that stuff. And also, a lot of people were like, well, fascism is probably a good defense against communism. Because remember, everyone's a little scared of communism at this point, so people are like, oh yeah, fascism, Hitler, yeah, okay, okay, just go for that one. Um, so, um, moving on from that, a lot of countries, this isn't just Britain or France at this point, they don't have the resources to fight war. Remember, this is the Great Depression going on right now. People don't have money to fight. Um, also, there was a widespread belief in pacifism, and that is the opposition to all war. People didn't like the last war. They really weren't in any hurry to get in another one. And also, if you remember, some of those neutrality acts, the Kellogg-Brand Pact, for example, um, you know, it's illegal to have war. People assigned, you know, neutrality acts. So, of course, that would, you know, make sure that... Uh, everyone can't have, you know, war, and also Germany had restrictions. They're not allowed to sell weapons. You can't give loans to warring nations. Uh, this just goes for a lot of different countries. So there was neutrality acts to make sure that this thing couldn't happen again. But it happened again. So, anyhow, all right, so let's uh, talk about what these people started to do during this time of appeasement. So, remember, everyone's appeasing, appeasing Hitler and Mussolini. So, let's talk about Italy here. Mussolini used his new military to take over Ethiopia, 
and Ethiopia ran to the League of Nations for help, and the League of Nations passed sanctions or penalties and basically slapping poor Italy on the wrist. And, yeah, but they had no way to enforce it, so Italy really didn't care. Um, Germany rebuilt its military, even though that was a big no-no. They sent troops into the demilitarized Rhineland, henceforth making it remilitarized. That was a big no-no. And this was all in defiance of the um, unpopular Versailles Treaty. So, and it won Hitler a whole bunch of popularity. Um, then there's Japan, which... I know we're not going to talk about them very much, um, so I'm just going to briefly talk about them now. We're going to talk them a whole bunch when we get into U.S. history, so just bear with me. This is just a little bit right now, but more later, I promise. So um, kind of going back to World War I, Japan grew. Um, economically, they were exporting a lot of materials and products. The 1920s, the growth had slowed and tensions between different parts of the country grew. There was a new emperor who took control, and that is Hirohito, um, and know that name, you'll need to know it a whole bunch next year. And as the country grew a lot, remember military aspirations grew. We talked about the Maihi, um, you know, dynasty or empire time period, um, and having this, you know, a strong country, a you know, strong military kind of thing. And this ultimately culminated with the invasion of Manchuria, um, and this is when they started to kind of imperialize and take over more than they already had. And this is going to lead us into World War II. Um, and like I said, that's the quick version of Japan. More later. Um, also, fascism spread as well throughout Spain, where revolution broke out. Uh, Germany aided the fascists there that were led by Francisco Franco. And this gave Hitler a really good chance to test out his brand new military that he had been building. Um, eventually, Franco won um, and set up a fascist state within Spain. And... Hitler started to expand more and more at this point. And if you remember that term for um, expanding one's living space, the German term for it was Lebensraum, uh, so taking over more area. So one of the areas he took over in 1938 was Austria, and he said, hey, I'm just taking this over because there's ethnic Germans living there, and I'm just I'm bringing them back under German control and German government. And people were like, okay, don't do it again. And then Hitler went after another area, um, Czechoslovakia, uh, but he didn't take it all over at first. First, he demanded that the Germans that were living in the Sudetenland, which was the western part of Czechoslovakia, be given autonomy or be given control of their own destiny. And Czechoslovakia was one of the last democracies in Eastern Europe, so it hadn't fallen to communism or fascism, but now it's kind of falling to fascism. So Britain and France, they said, okay, fine, just... Don't, don't take over anything else, just the Sudetenland. And this is, remember, appeasement. So they had this thing called the Munich Conference. Britain and France persuaded the Czechoslovakian government to give in to Hitler. In return, Hitler promised, I'm doing air quotes, but you can't tell if this is a podcast, that he would not expand any further. Yeah, we'll see how that promise holds up. So this was called a peace for our time, because the British Prime Minister at the time, Neville, Neville Chamberlain, uh, came home to Britain and said he had achieved peace for our time. He said that the Munich Pact had saved Czechoslovakia and saved Europe from Armageddon. Very dramatic. Winston Churchill, a politician at the time, who will become more prominent as we go on, had a nice quote. He said, they had to choose between war and dishonor. They chose dishonor, they will have war. So, yeah, 
like I said, Churchill, we'll be talking about more him later on, more about him later on. So, March 1939, Hitler took over the rest of Czechoslovakia. Then, in August of 1939, he signed the Nazi-Soviet Pact, and this was a non-aggression pact, so meaning there would be, um, they would not fight with one another, they would be peaceful, and this was between the Nazis, a la Germany, and the Soviets, a la Russia. And it basically publicly said that the two would be peaceful with one another. However, there was a secret clause. And the secret clause or clauses said um, they would not fight with each other when they went to war, um, meaning mostly Poland, because they would divide up Poland and other parts of Eastern Europe once war started. So basically, um, it was based on mutual need and want. So they both wanted to take over areas, so they said, look, we're all going to start fighting but we're just not going to fight with each other because, you know, Hitler can be trusted. All right, that leads us to the invasion of Poland. September 1st, 1939, Germany invaded Poland. Britain and France declared war on Germany. This was like the final straw. They're like, appeasement, appeasement, appeasement. Fine, you can't mess with Poland anymore. So um, Hitler, when attacking Poland, used a strategy known as Blitzkrieg, or also known as the Lightning War. And this consists of German planes um, bombing airfields, factories, and towns and cities. Uh, dive bombers fired on troops and civilians. And then fast-moving tanks and troops and transports came in. Basically, the whole idea behind this is, is fast, 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 fast. You know, hit them as quickly as possible. Um, and as the Germans attacked from the west, Stalin attacked from the east. Um, Stalin then continued to attack Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, and some of Finland. He got bogged down in Finland, which that's a history tale for another time. So German forces then decided to head towards Paris. Um, they attacked from the south. Um, and the reason they attacked from the south is because that you know impenetrable line was supposed to keep them out, and that was the Maginot Line. Hitler was like, yeah, that's a pretty tough line. I'll just walk around it. And he did. France surrendered on June 22, 1940. Um, and ironically, Hitler made them surrender in the same train car that Germany was forced to surrender in during World War One. So uh, the Germans now controlled the north, and they controlled the south too. But they set up a puppet government in the south. So basically, they told the government what to do, and they, they did. It was basically a German government, but it looked like it was free. Um, the original French government uh, was in exile, hiding out in Britain, and, and they were in control or run by Charles de Gaulle. And now, remember, World War, so we're not just talking about Eastern Europe, Europe, um, you know, all these places. We're also going to be talking about Africa. So the Axis powers, which was Germany and, for the most part, Italy, but you could add in Japan as well, um, but mostly Italy and Germany for Africa. The Axis armies pushed into northern Africa and the Balkans. Mussolini moved from his colony in Libya into Egypt. Uh, the British did push them back. Germany sent one of their top general commanders to help out, and that was General Erwin Rommel, known as the Fox. I'm sorry, Desert Sorry, I was thinking of the tiger for some reason. Anyhow, Desert Fox. And he won several victories for the Axis powers. He was a very, very good commander. A lot of mutual respect on both sides for him. All right, so during this time, um, we saw some emergence of new technology or revisiting older technology. So the German air power uh, proved to be very affordable. And if you remember, the German air force was the Luftwaffe. Um, also, fast-moving troop transports and tanks hurt heavily, um, especially with the Blitzkrieg. 
We also started to see the use of radar and sonar. And radar uh, is used to detect airplanes, and sonar detects submarines. And also, just a little quick note here, um, once they found submarines, they would use depth charges to counter submarines, which were basically like underwater giant grenades. Um, that messed them up pretty bad. So now Hitler has taken over France and most of Eastern Europe, and the Soviets are doing their own thing. So kind of between all of these, Hitler decides, well, it looks like it's time to go after Britain. Um, so Hitler turned his attention towards England, and now the guy who is in charge is no longer Neville, Neville Chamberlain, but it is Winston Churchill who I mentioned earlier. So he planned, meaning Hitler, planned to attack Britain, um, and this plan was called Operation Sea Lion, and he bombed them for 71 nights, and this was called the Blitz. And as a response to bombing at night, because uh, it'd be harder to see all the planes, um, Britain responded by turning off the lights. Um, overall, Britain was not deterred by Operation Sea Lion, and it was uh, Sea Lion, and it was seen as a failure for the most part. Now, don't ask the people there because they got bombed pretty bad during all of this. But overall, it was not very successful as far as getting Britain to surrender. So once, figure, once Hitler figured out that this wasn't going to happen, they weren't going to surrender, he then moved on to Operation Barbarossa, and this was to attack the Soviet Union, henceforth breaking the Nazi-Soviet pact. Because remember, they were supposed to be buddies. And one of the big reasons for going after the Soviet Union is they had raw materials that Hitler wanted. So he tried using his blitzkrieg attack on the Soviet Union, and Stalin was unprepared at this point. And if you remember... Stalin had signed a Nazi-Soviet pact, so he was like, oh, Hitler would never break his word, so that made him surprised. Also, Stalin had sent a lot of his military generals to the gulags, so all of his top guys that knew how to, you know, repel um, a war, um, you know, they weren't there anymore. So the Russians were on the run at this point. Uh, the Soviets lost 2.5 million men, but could not stop the, the Germans. They just kept retreating. Um, however, um, while retreating, the Soviets destroyed factories, farms, and burned crops. This should sound pretty familiar um, to Napoleon trying to attack the Russians. And this uh, strategy was called scorched earth, or ruining the land so it is inhospitable. Um, the Germans were doing very well until General Winter came, and meaning the Russian weather got very cold. Temperatures dropped by December to negative 4 degrees, and they, the, they, meaning the Germans, were just not prepared for this type of war. They didn't have enough um, warm clothing or knew how to deal with that type of temperature. So to give you an example, uh, there was a two-and-a-half-year battle at Leningrad. Um, the civilians of Leningrad, who were kind of like stuck in the middle of all of this, were rationing food, um, meaning they were trying to live as long as they could on very little food. Eventually, they were so desperate for food that they boiled wallpaper to get the like potato flour paste that was used in the wallpaper out and eat it for some type of nutritional value. They took leather suitcases and boiled and ate them because leather is, you know, from cowhide. So, and they called this jellied meat. Um, and Stalin at this point is like, we're not doing too well. So he called on the allies, mostly meaning Britain and America and, you know, other countries in there, but the two biggest ones, I guess you could say, um, to say, hey, can you um, attack maybe on the other side? So maybe Hitler takes some of his troops away from my side and puts them on the other side. Um, this means like opening up another front 
to uh, to fight on. And so all this America, remember, America's like, I, I can't really do too much because um, when war broke out in 1939, they were neutral. They were trying to be isolationists, um, trying to like stay away from everything. Now, that being said, FDR, um, the President of the United States, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who we discussed in our last unit, um, he did try to find ways to give aid and help out. Um, one of the things he, he tried to help out with was the Lend-Lease Act, which allowed the United States to loan supplies to the Allies or to uh, countries that it felt was beneficial to United States security. Um, then in 1941, August of 1941, uh, there was an Atlantic Charter, which was a secret meeting between FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and Winston Churchill, and they basically outlined how they were going to go after the Nazis and just, you know, Hitler and his tyranny. And it had a whole bunch of goals for fighting the war and the post-war and, like, what the world would be like after Hitler. So this was pretty amazing to come up with this in 1941 before the United States was even involved with the war. And basically they, they said that they would help one another at this point. So the United States was neutral, but then on December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy, Japan attacked Pearl Harbor, which was in Hawaii, with a surprise attack. And, you know, in the meantime, they were kind of being peaceful with us. And all of a sudden, boom, they just attacked us and they really hit us hard and quick. We were not ready for this at all. Um, and so while we were not doing the best, um, we were kind of trying to rebuild and mobilize for war. Um, Japan had been and continued to conquer different islands in the Pacific or different areas, taking over many colonies owned by the French previously. All right, so we're going to pause there for just a little bit with this podcast, and we're going to pick up with the second half, and we're going to start talking about some turning points, because right now it looks like Hitler's doing pretty well. Um, he's taken over most of Europe and going into Africa and also going against the Soviet Union. Japan just hit us really hard and has taken over a whole bunch of other islands. But things are going to turn around for the Allies, meaning Russia, America, and Britain. So we'll get into that when we come back for our second podcast here.